Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4, Man in the Making, with former monk Rajan Shankara and myself, Rokas. Thank you for joining me, Rajan. Thank you, Rokas. Today we will be going over Lucius Aeneas Seneca's work on the shortness of life. It is a manifesto on how to get back control of your life and live it to the fullest. Seneca was a Roman Stoic philosopher born 4 BC and died 65 AD, age 69. He was one of the three main Stoic philosophers next to Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus. Seneca was born in Cordoba in Hispania and raised in Rome, where he was trained in rhetoric and philosophy. In AD 41, Seneca was exiled to the island of Corsica by the Emperor Claudius, but was allowed to return in 49 AD to become a tutor to Nero, where Nero became emperor in 54. Seneca became his advisor and provided competent government for the first five years of Nero's reign. Seneca's influence over Nero declined with time, and in 65, Seneca was forced to take his own life for alleged complicity in the Prisonian conspiracy to assassinate Nero, in which he was likely to have been innocent. So that was a background on Seneca, and now we'll begin his readings. Rajan, over to you. Okay, um, I think that last sentence is interesting. His stoic and calm suicide has become the subject of numerous paintings. So I found Seneca um, maybe uh, around 10 years ago. I did not know he existed. No one in school uh, talked about who he was. Um, so I found him uh, as a, an adult and I first read his letters to his uh, friend, Lucilius, and he wrote 124 letters. Normally, you can quote one of his letters and cover many, many topics on life. Um, and as over the years, as he uh, was in exile and he was writing these letters to his friend, they were just talking about life and death. And you would think, you know, we'd go over those letters, which he's most famously known for. But he wrote an essay to another friend, Paulinus, on the, called On the Shortness of Life. And that is what we are going to cover from this philosopher today. Uh, this was the first time I had read this to, during the preparation for the show. And I really liked it because it's, it has a lot of the cliches of a Stoic philosopher about uh, life and, 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 and death and everything. But it gets, we'll get into the ending a bit where it, where it talks about what to do uh, now that you think this way, which is really nice. So he, he starts out by saying to his friend that most people complain about uh, the shortness of life. And most people complain that life is mean and we're not given enough time to do what we want to do. That's, so that's how he immediately begins. He says to his friend, most of mankind, Paulinus, complains about nature's meanness because our allotted span of life is so short. 
and because this stretch of time that is given to us runs its course so quickly, so rapidly. So much so that with very few exceptions, life leaves the rest of us in the lurch just when we're getting ready to live. So these aren't his beliefs, but he's just kind of parroting uh, what he hears around uh, the city uh, from people. And it's kind of a cliche um, sentiment, even today, the, um, that life is short. Okay, so now he starts to reveal his own teaching. It's not that we have a short time to live, but that we waste much of it. Life is long enough, and it's been given to us in generous measure for accomplishing the greatest things. If the whole of it is well invested, but when life is squandered through soft and careless living and when it's spent on no worthwhile pursuit, death finally presses and we realize that the life which we didn't notice passing has passed away. So it is. The life we are given isn't short, but we make it so. We're not ill-provided, but we are wasteful of life. Just as impressively and princely wealth is squandered in an instant when it passes into the hands of a poor manager, just so our lifetime offers ample scope to the person who maps it out well. That's the basic idea behind the entire piece, uh, the entire essay to his friend Paulinus, that uh, life is indeed long, it's not, it's not short at all. You just have to make sure you do something with it. And Seneca is much easier to read than Epictetus. Um, I guess Seneca and Marcus Aurelius are, are both easier to read. Those, and those are the three famous Stoics. Um, but Epictetus... Uh, has the original message because he came before them. So it's good to, it's good to read all three of them, but this is kind of the line of, this is, this goes along the same lines that uh, Seneca's letters follows. He goes on to say, many who have no consistent goal in life are thrown from one new design to another by a fickleness that is shifting never settled and, and ever satis dissatisfied with itself. Some have no goal at all toward which to steer their course, but death takes them by surprise as they gape and yawn. I cannot therefore doubt the truth of that seemingly oracular utterance of the greatest of poets. Scant is the part of life in which we live. All the rest of existence is not living, but merely time. And, uh, I was taught this as well as I went through my own philosophical journey. And you learn that there are uh, many days within a 24-hour period if you uh, focus. Vices assail and surround us on all sides, and they don't allow us to rise again and lift our eyes to the clear discernment of truth. But they press down on them, keeping them lowered and fixed on mere desire. It's never possible for their victims to return to their true selves. That's a beautiful sentence. It's never possible for their victims to return to their true selves. If by chance they ever find some respite, they still roll restlessly, just like the deep sea, which still swells even after the wind has settled. They never find full relaxation from their desires. 
Now, uh, I highlighted this part out of the essay because it's, it's, um, it's essential to uh, Stoic thought and Seneca specifically. Most of this is going to be, be about vice and desires. And <clears throat> I think in, in, in your internet searching of Seneca, you'll find that many people with addiction issues love his work. And um, alcoholics, um, to people who are addicted to TV uh, or food or pornography or um, technology, his, his work kind of um, shakes them up a bit and rattles them. And uh, he loved to talk about vices. He loved to talk about uh, desire and how it was a waste of time. And it's something that everyone um, can learn from. No one is really free. Uh, no one's really free from uh, that the vice of wasting time. And we all have something that we do that helps us kind of uh, cope with reality. And it, it's, it's usually um, something that dumbs us down just a little bit, something to where we can, we can detach from who we are, the role we have to play in life. And we can kind of let go for a little bit. And, um, you know, one of our examples in, in a previous episode was TikTok. And uh, TikTok for young people is definitely a way to kind of tune out, right? And unplug for a second from life and just get hooked up to this um, enchanting uh, visual and, and, and audible um, series of videos that you can just scroll and scroll and scroll and it's always novel, it's always new, and that's the nature of desire. And so Seneca um, frequently cautions against this type of escape. He goes on to say, look back and recall when you were ever sure of your purpose, how few days turned out as you'd intended, when you were ever at your own disposal, when your face showed its own expression, when your mind was free from disturbance, what accomplishment you can claim in such a long life. How many have plundered your existence without your being aware of what you were losing? How much time has been lost to groundless anguish, foolish pleasure, greedy desire, the charms of society? How little is left to you from your own store of time? You'll come to realize that you're dying before your time. And, you know, that's what Henry David Thoreau wrote in his um, account of living in the woods for two years. He sought to live in the woods, uh, that's called Walden Ponds, um, to make sure that, he, that when he died, he had really lived. And uh, to make sure that he had really lived and, and not only enjoyed the present moment, but understood it for what it was, he, he left society 
and built a little cabin in the woods. And I'm sure we'll go over that, uh, the highlights of that book uh, one day on the show. And it's a common theme for people who are trying to get a grip on reality, trying to get a grip on, on who they want to be. They usually have to, they usually have to go away and do something extreme and um, kind of shift their perspective radically in order to see um, what's been going on and, and you know, what, what, a, what a complicated life that we, we live if we continue to attach ourselves to every single thing that comes by, every single app. Um, you know, even productivity addiction, you know, the newest thing to record notes with, the, the newest thing to make a, a to-do list on. Um, we have to watch ourselves because in the amazingness of this tech, technological uh, type of revolution, um, there's always going to be a new thing to do something. And it's really special, but at the same time, it, it can also be too distracting, I think. In reality, <clears throat> your life, even if you live a thousand years and more, will be compressed into the merest span of time. Those vices of yours will swallow up any number of lifetimes. To be sure, this span of time, which good management prolongs, even though it naturally hurries on, must in your case escape you quickly. For you fail to seize it and hold it back, and you do nothing to delay that speediest of all things, but you allow it to pass as if it were something overabundant that we can get back again. Okay, so he's talking about the, how people just waste time in general, and we act as if it's going to be ours forever. One of my favorite aspects of Seneca is that he um, is okay with death. And he is sort of a, has transcended death in his writing. And a famous um, saying is memento mori, remember death. A, a lot of us don't think about death enough. And he starts to get into that a little bit more here. To sum up, everyone agrees that no one area of activity can be successfully pursued by someone who is preoccupied. Rhetoric cannot nor can the liberal arts, since the distracted mind takes in nothing really deeply, but rejects everything that is, so to speak, pounded into it. Um, that's a good point. A mind that's preoccupied can never really absorb anything fully. Uh, the distracted mind and nothing uh, really deeply, but rejects everything. In other words, there's too much novelty going on. Nothing is less characteristic of a man preoccupied than living. There is no knowledge that is harder to acquire. And structures of the disciplines are to a penny. Indeed, mere boys have been seen to master some of these disciplines so thoroughly that they could even be masters in the classroom. But learning how to live takes a whole lifetime. And you'll perhaps be more surprised at this, it takes a whole lifetime to learn how to die. 
So anyone, he's saying anyone can be preoccupied. It's, it's so common and it's not really that big of a deal to, we already know um, the road that, that pleasure takes us down. We know the road that desire takes us down and, and, and we know what happens when we numb ourselves to life and waste time. What most people don't know is the path that you take that's of constant discipline. Most people don't know the hidden joys in that path of making your life harder. And something that Seneca reflects on a lot is that by, by accepting discipline and ex by accepting responsibility, we start to get better at learning how to die. And I think an easy way to answer that question is, is what, of what does that mean is we, it's not that we learn how to die, but we learn how to accept the fact that we do die. And so long as we live a, a fulfilling existence, um, we naturally come into a readiness uh, that we've done well and that um, we don't have to live in fear of moving on. Later in the essay, he goes on, everyone sends his life racing headlong and suffers from a longing for the future, a loathing of the present. But the person who devotes every second of his time to his own needs and who organizes each day as if it were a complete life, neither longs for nor is afraid of the next day. For what new kind of pleasure is there that any hour can now bring? Everything has been experienced, everything enjoyed to the full. And that's something that the monks um, rested their entire uh, life, life on, is the fact that they're, they're throwing off, they're throwing down the potential um, sorrows of, you know, the constant novelty of life by they're putting themselves away in an institution. Um, philosophers do the same thing and they kind of live as hermits. Uh, but that's not something that you have to do. I think to live a well-balanced life is to understand that everything is temporary and to uh, to not give everything your one hundred percent devotion, and to, you know some part of you has to be detached in order to, to deal with an eventual pulling away of something in life. Um, but Seneca takes the extreme. Monks take the extreme. They, you know everything has been experienced. Everything enjoyed to the full. Uh, so it's, for Seneca, it's, it's, well, there's no, so there's no point in seeking new things, but I don't recommend that. I recommend that while we enjoy life and enjoy the things that it, it brings us uh, a life to brings a life well lived, we should also be detached and understand that, you know, eventually we have to go back to work. Eventually we have to get focused again and, you know, we can still understand discipline in, you know, things that bring us 
contentment, or even just happiness. So here Seneca is about to go into what it means to um, understand time. And I think this is an unusual aspect of his writing and uh, Stoic writing um, in general. But the point that he makes at the end is not unusual. Um, and it's, it's, it's actually a cliche idea in, in all Stoic philosophy. Life is divided into three parts, past, present, and future. Of these, the present is brief, the future is doubtful, the past certain. For this last is the category over which fortune no longer has control and which cannot be brought back under anyone's power. Preoccupied people lose this part, for they have no leisure to look back at the past and even if they had it, there's no pleasure in recalling something regrettable. And so they're unwilling to turn their minds back to times badly spent, and they dare not revisit the past because their vices become obvious in retrospect, even those that insinuated themselves by the allurement of momentary pleasure. No one gladly casts his thoughts back to the past except for the person whose every action has been subjected to his own self-assessment, which is infallible. So if you're ashamed of the past and if you've wasted time in the past, you're not going to want to revisit it. And, um, you know, this is really common. I think everyone can relate to this. Um, and when we live, um, you know, righteously, when we live well with discipline and um, mindfulness, and we when we when we genuinely try to do a good thing um, every day, every moment we can, uh, it's easy to kind of look back on it and be uh, content and, and be, you know, genuinely uh, stable and solid in in that in that past that we've lived. And it's important to get back to that if you've lost it. A man who's been ambitious in the scale of his desires, arrogant in his disdainfulness, unrestrained in prevailing over others, treacherous in his deceptions, greedy in his plunderings, and lavish in his prodigality, such a man must inevitably be afraid of his own memory. Yet this is the part of our existence that is consecrated and set apart elevated above all human vicissitudes and removed beyond fortune's sway and harried by no poverty, no fear, no attacks of disease. This part can be neither disrupted nor stolen away. Our possession of it is everlasting and untroubled. Days are present only one at a time and these only minute by minute. But all the days of time past will attend you at your bidding, and they will allow you to examine them and hold on to them at your will. Something which preoccupied people have no time to do. It takes a tranquil and untroubled mind to roam freely over all the parts of life. But preoccupied minds, as if under the yoke, cannot turn around and look backward. Their life therefore disappears into an abyss and just as it does no good to pour any amount of liquid into a vessel if there's nothing at the bottom to receive and keep it 
So it makes no difference how much time we are given if there's nowhere for it to settle and it's allowed to pass through the cracks and holes in the mind. So the, the piece, the essay slowly goes through a, a process. It asks, it, it asks a question of, you know, how long is life? It answers it. And now that we know that life is not long, what do we do? And so Seneca is just, has just finished going over, well, there's three things in life. You have a choice that, that you can pay attention to. You can pay attention to the past, the present, or the future. And some people loathe all three of those. And they can't stand the past, the present, or the future. Or they're uh, anxious of the future. They're not even in the present moment. Or the, and they're regretful of the past. So it's usually just past or future for most people. It's never um, all three. And, and usually present is, isn't even involved. Just past or future. But what he's saying is we, we should start to look into uh, the past of a life well lived. And he explains that a little bit more because that's not an easy concept. He's not just talking about any past, but he's, he's talking about a specific way to look at it. Of all people, they alone who give their time to philosophy are at leisure. They alone really live. Okay, so now he gets into answering that question. Why would we pay attention to the past? And he's talking about uh, the philosophical past, the, the past of uh, rich knowledge that has come from people and come from cultures, and that that type of past needs to be studied in the realm of uh, philosophical study. And then you're actually um, living a good life, according to Seneca. For it's not just their own lifetime that they watch over carefully, but they annex every age to their own. All the years that have gone before are added to their own. Unless we prove most ungrateful, those most distinguished founders of hallowed thoughts came into being for us. And for us, they prepared a way of living. And this is a, this is a common uh, way to look at ancient mythologies and cultures and traditions. Um, and we've said the same thing in a previous episode, and that's why you read. That's why you read from people that's come, that have come before you. It, it's, it's, it allows you to pick up on their own experience and add it to your life so that your life is not just one, but it's, it, it, it incorporates and encompasses the lives of many people and, and, and many minds can be added to your mind. And so you could gain a vast amount of knowledge in a shorter amount of time. And that's what he's going, that's what he's saying here. We are led by the work of others into the presence of the most beautiful treasures, which have been pulled from darkness and brought to light. From no age are we debarred. So we're, we're not restricted to any time. We have access to all. 
And if we want to transcend the narrow limitations of human weakness by our expansiveness of mind, there is a great span of time for us to range over. That's an incredibly uh, beautiful sentence. From no, I'm going to replace the word debarred. From no age are we restricted. We have access to all. And if we want to transcend the narrow limitations of human weakness by our expansiveness of mind, there is a great span of time for us to range over. Absolutely fascinating. And that's what we want to do, right? We want to transcend the narrow limitations of human weakness. How do we do that? By expansiveness of mind. How do we achieve expansiveness of mind? We learn philosophy. We study those who have come before us and see what they figured out. How did they reach you know, a solution to their problems? None of these philosophers will force you to die, but all will teach you how. None of them will diminish your years, but each will share his years with you. With none of them will conversation be dangerous, friendship life-threatening, or cultivation of them expensive. From them you'll take whatever you wish. It will be no fault of theirs if you fail to take in the very fullest amount you have room for. What happiness, what a fine old age lies in store for the person who, who's put himself under the patronage of these people. That's a good one. What happiness, what a fine old age lies in store for the person who's put himself under the patronage of these people. He'll have friends whose advice he can seek on the greatest or least important matters, whom he can consult daily about himself, from whom he can hear the truth without insult and receive praise without fawning, and who will provide a model after which to fashion himself. And that, that last point is extremely important to me. Who will provide a model after which to fashion himself. So a role model in this case, a mentor, can be received. You know, Socrates can be your mentor. I was just talking about this with a friend the other day, and he said he had never considered that idea before, having a mentor that's not even alive. You know, a mentor doesn't even need to know you exist. A role model doesn't need to know you exist for you to be a mentee. But you can learn from them. You can pick up anyone and have them be your role model, your mentor. As long as you are following their work, reflecting on it, and putting it into practice, then they're your mentor. So Socrates can be your mentor. Frederick Douglass can be your mentor. There's a common saying that it was not in our power to choose the parents we were allotted and that we were given to us by chance. Yet we can, we can be born to whomever we wish. There are households of the most distinguished intellects. Choose the one into which you'd like to be adopted, and you'll inherit not just the name, but also the actual property, which is not to be hoarded in a miserly or mean spirit. The more people you share it with, the greater it will become. So he's talking about 
make yourself uh, make yourself known to the teachings of of great people throughout history and share it with other people and you'll have a, a, a rich amount of knowledge that you can then turn into wisdom over time. He ends here, or we're going to end here. He goes on, the essay continues a little bit, but I think this is a good spot to finish. These will open for you the path to immortality and raise you to an elevation from which no one is cast down. This is the sole means of prolonging mortality, or rather, of transforming it into immortality. Honors, monuments, all that ostentatious ambition has ordered by decree or erected in stone are soon destroyed. There's nothing that the long lapse of time doesn't demolish and transform. But it cannot harm the works consecrated by wisdom. No age will efface them. No age reduce them at all. The next age and each one after that will only enhance the respect in which they are held since envy focuses on what is close at hand. But we more freely admire things from a distance. So, so the sage's life is ample in scope. And he's not constricted by the same limit that confines others. He alone is released from the limitations of the human race, and he is master of all ages as though a god. Some time has passed. He holds it in recollection. Time is upon us. He uses it. Time is to come. This he anticipates. The combining of all time into one makes his life long. And I think that's um, one of the most beautiful things I've ever read. And I didn't even know Seneca's essay on the shortness of life existed um, until a week ago. And he just uh, explains how to use each time, past, present, or future. And, and why the sage transcends um, limitation and why it's so important to keep educating ourselves. Even if it doesn't make sense. Some time has passed. He holds it in recollection. Time is upon us. He uses it. Time is to come. He anticipates. And so the combining of all times into one makes his life long. I think that's extremely beautiful and that is seneca's essay on the shortness of life and before we end i would just like to add um a quote i heard from a speech by jk rowling that i found out was from seneca goes as follows as is the tale so is life not how long it is but how good it is is what matters well, just something i thought i'd add yeah that's that's uh very true very true and that's a common that's a common sentiment in um, a lot of areas of uh, self-development um, or uh, 
introspection about life. Um, it's, it's, a it's not the length of it. It's, it's, it's the quality, right? It's not the quantity. Better to live a life uh, short and well-lived than long and wasted. 